it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, my guest is Polly Stewart. Her essays have appeared in the New York Times, Poets and Writers, and several other publications. She is the author of The Good Ones, which is currently available from Harper Books. Polly, thank you for being here. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Terrence. I'm glad to be here. Of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about The Good Ones? Sure. So The Good Ones uh, is a it's a mystery slash thriller slash literary fiction about a woman named Nicola who moves back to her small hometown in Virginia after the mm -hmm. death of her mother. She wants to sell her mother's house and she's between jobs. So it's she's kind of at loose ends anyway. 15 right. years earlier, a good friend of hers had disappeared very suddenly. They were young adults and uh, she left her husband and young daughter behind and just vanished in the middle of the night. So Nicola's always been intrigued or and, and fascinated by this question of what happened to her friend. She's been following it online, but when she gets home, she gets pulled into some of the relationships that she'd left behind. Uh, begin spending time with her friend Lauren's former husband, um, mm -hmm. his name is Lauren, their, their names do rhyme, <laughs> there's a story about that, and his younger brother Sean, who she also was close to in high school, and just gets pulled into a lot of, a lot of relationships that she thought she'd kind of moved beyond, which puts her in an interesting position, and then um, also ends up finding out some things that she didn't know before about her, her friend's disappearance. Oh, great. Now, this sounds like a really interesting and intriguing novel. Um, is this, uh, was this inspired by any particular actual crime that happens? Or are you a true crime aficionado? Or how did, uh, how did the impetus for this book arise? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, it was inspired by a real case. And I heard about it, I think, long before anybody really paid much attention to true crime, or at least before I did. Uh, there's a case in 1991 in Springfield, Missouri called the Springfield Three, and it was three women, a mother and her daughter and her daughter's friend who also just vanished in the middle of the night, left their purses behind, all their belongings, and the case has never been solved. Um, no, one, no one knows what happened to this day. And what happened was when I was in college, I'd actually read a short story based on that case. And it was published mm -hmm. in Best American Short Stories. And I, I really, I didn't read mysteries at that time. I wasn't interested in true crime, but I could never get this case out of my head. Um, I ended up living in Springfield many years later and there was a right. memorial to the three women. So I'd walk over there uh, with, my, with my son when he was a baby. And so I, I think it, um, the, the novel does end up dealing with some aspects of true crime that I think are relevant to the current day. But mm -hmm. really, I think, I think this, this story got its hooks in me a long time ago. Right, exactly. It's funny how the real world can in heavily influence not only our writing style, but what we choose to write about, isn't it? Um, now, are you much of a true crime fan or are you more of somebody who just sees it and then goes on to other... Uh, entertainment like uh, you know streaming series or something like that I am and I, I think I have a lot of the maybe um, difficulties with it that a lot of people do for me I think it it came from almost more of a like um, 
academic direction because my, my mom teaches criminal justice. So around oh, wow. okay. when I was growing up, we were always talking about the issues of policing and uh, le the legal system. So mm -hmm. I, I never wanted to go to law school or anything like that, but I've always been fascinated uh, by this stuff. So I do, you know, I listen to the podcasts, I watch the shows, but I, I really try to consume true crime media that I feel is responsible. Um, there are some great podcasts that deal with um, the wrongfully convicted. Uh, there's one called Proof that I really love. And mm -hmm. and so, so you're not, uh, there, there's always that question of whether it's exploitative. And I, I try to stay steer clear of that when I can. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because you, you, you want the story to stand on its own. You don't want to become part of the story. And I think that's some of the problems that I know you're not writing true crime, but that I've seen in some true crime trends over the last couple of years, you know, the narrator tries to become too much part of the story. And, you know, I always find myself frustrated by that because I'll say, this isn't about you. This is, you haven't suffered nearly as much as those people that you're covering right now who are afraid of these killers or in this situation or whatnot. Um, I was wondering what made you want to have your protagonist uh, go back to their hometown for the uh, in the hope of solving this particular case was uh, what was your your inspiration for having that happen? That's the one part of the the novel that is fairly autobiographical. I, I'd grown up in a small town in Virginia and could not wait <laughs> to leave. And then uh, I I lived different places around the country. My husband and I were actually living in California. And then I got a job back about an hour from where I'd grown up. And wow. it was way too good to pass up. Uh, all, all our families were back here and I'd grown to really love this part of the country and really miss it as I'd become an adult. But I also had a lot of feelings about here I am coming back to this place that I just, I spent the first part of my life trying to, to escape. So right. that ended up in, in the novel, she feels much more negatively <laughs> about moving back than than I did, but it was I was working out some of those issues. Yes, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, because I'm always fascinated about why writers set their stories in the settings that they choose, because, you know, some people who are interested in becoming writers listen to this podcast and they say, well, I have no life experience that I can draw on to you to, to write a story. And they said, you know what, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it. You can approach it from just something that caught your interest or something that happened to you and it sounded like you blended a bit of those two together to create what you've written now. Yeah you know to me that's been true with everything I've ever written it's kind of a potpourri where it's something I hear from someone it's something that happened to me it's something that's pure imagination and then you kind of con concoct this recipe that that works for you that you're willing to spend you know two to three years of your life on and um, then you know you've got something. Exactly right. Now, I understand this. Uh, you've written a lot of different essays and, and short stories. And um, the good ones is, I believe, your second novel, isn't it? Didn't you, did you write one that was uh, before this a few years ago? That's right. Yes, I had a, a novel under um, my legal name, which is Mary Stewart Atwell. This is a, you know, we're, this is under Polly Stewart. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was different. It was a different genre. But I, I think I figured some things out along the way, hopefully. That's good. That's good. I mean, um, and how do you feel that you've grown as a writer from that initial uh, effort to the way you are now? Well, I always knew I wanted to be a writer from the time I was a, a small child, so I, I've always been working on it. To me, the, the great 
difference <laughs> that's happened mm -hmm. in my career is being able to work with a wonderful editor. My editor on The Good One, Sarah Stein, is just fantastic. And it, it's, it's such a different experience to see a manuscript the way an editor sees it and to right. be able to sort of shape it in that way that I feel that it, it, it would have taken me probably 10 more years to figure out on my own the things I learned from, from working to, for, with her, so. Right, yeah, I, I know a lot is made of writing being a solitary uh, pursuit, which it certainly is, but I, I always tell especially new readers and writers that it's very much a team effort because if the writer doesn't get any feedback on their initial draft and, and it's just about uh, punctuation and, and word usage, that's not really feedback. You need someone that's really going to go in and help you not only change your story, but also help you become a better writer, get the most out of your work. And it sounds like you've been fortunate enough to find that kind of uh, symbiosis uh, relationship there. It's so lucky. I, I, when I was writing The Good Ones, I really wasn't thinking about publishing it. Honestly, I, I had small children and my only time to write was very, very early in the morning. And I just thought, I just want to entertain myself. I just want to write, write something that's going to make me want to get out of bed every morning. And right. so I wasn't, I wasn't thinking ahead to the publication part of things. And then I just feel that I got incredibly lucky to, to work with the team at, at Harper Books that I right. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting story because a lot of people say, oh, well, if I only, and you probably come upon this, people say, oh, I'd write too if I just had the time. And um, if I just felt like I could uh, get a few hours to myself, sure, I could write one too. But a lot of people say that. Very few people have actually done that, and uh, comparatively speaking. And it sounds like you had that writing bug that you had to explore. Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate, I guess, to be a morning person. I don't mind getting up at four. <laughs> um, and so that that works for me. If, if I tried to fit it in later in my day, once my kids are up and I had to go to work, I would never do it. So yeah, it's just kind of finding the schedule that works for you, I think. Exactly right. Yeah, you find, if, if it means enough to you, you'll find a way to, uh, to make it happen. And uh, it sounds like you did. Now, this being your second book, uh, do you think that you're going to want to write more? Do you, you envision yourself uh, writing something of a series or just uh, a series of um, you know, standalone books? Yeah, people have mentioned uh, sequels to me along the way, and I, I have ideas in mind if there was, um, there was interest in that. But I, I think I'm not, uh, I'm not working on that at the moment. I have a new novel I'm working on called The Felon's Ball. Uh, it's set in a, the same part of the country. Um, Great title. But, oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, very, very different characters, much more sort of noir inflected, I think. Um, but it's, it's really fun. Again, I'm just really happy to get up every day and, and work on it. And that's the, that's the goal for me. Sure. Do you enjoy uh, doing uh, any research for your books or do you envision your work as being more plot and character driven yeah i'm gonna need to do some research for the for the new one i've avoided successfully avoided having um police as major characters in anything i've written so far because i really do not know much about um the police and luckily i have a former student who's who's a detective so i think i'm going to be going to him um because i do you know you want to make sure you get things right and right. In the past, you know, I've just relied heavily on Google, and I know most writers have those, you know, Google history searches that, <laughs> you know, we we just look crazy. But I've been able to find right. pretty much everything I've needed. 
that way so far. But you know, I think there's there's nothing there's no substitute for talking to people um, in person. There's there's also a, an excavation business that's a big part of my new book, and I think again I'm going to have to talk to some professionals in the field at some point. I look forward to that. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's always about the challenge, not just about what you put on the paper, but how you get your inspiration and put it on the paper. And it's finding that balance where you don't necessarily get analysis paralysis in research and, and fall it going down that rabbit hole. But at the same time, you you, de you do need to know what you're talking about and have accurate details. It's, it's about striking that balance, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, do, you, do you necessarily think that it's important for a writer to have a series or do you envision yourself just being more comfortable with writing standalones because there's no fixed rule to it. It's all based on what you want to do and you're in that great position where you've had one book before and now you have uh, the, your most recent book which has gotten a lot of great attention and it sounds like deservedly so. Um, do you, what do you think you're going to do? Do you think you're going to give series a try or do you think standalones are more it for you right now? I would love to write a series. I some of my favorite books are, I mean, certainly my favorite sort of binge reads are, are detective series. Um, I just got the opportunity to write an essay about Sue Grafton's Alphabet series, which is just um, I've read through twice. <laughs> just wow. Okay. Um, and was a, that was a big influence on my work. I think you know, a it's so important to have a great character and often a great sort of setting for those mm -hmm. for those novels. So I'd want to be absolutely sure. Well, this is a, a setting and a and a person that I'm going to want to spend multiple years with. And then again, you know, there's the question of of your profession. Um, right. How are you in a situation where you're being called upon to solve crimes on a regular basis? And um, I I don't think I could write a police procedural. You know, I just don't have that background. So right. You know, it's something I'd really have to think about it as, as a reader. I'm so attracted to to a great detective series, but it hasn't the muse hasn't visited me in that way, I guess, um, to this point. Sure. Yeah. And it, and it happens for different people in different ways. Like, you know, I love, for example, reading history myself, but I have no desire to write a history book. I've, I've got historical novels, but the novel gives you that extra room where you can put your own spin on events that people already know about. So. Um, and it sounds like you're comfortable doing uh, modern day stuff with, a, uh, with your own spin on it, which is important when you have a lot of people writing uh, mysteries and thrillers these days. Yeah, I mean, there, I, I think partly because what I, what I mentioned about my mom being a criminal justice professor, there, there are so many issues of uh, crime and the legal system, the system and incarceration that are, that are really relevant to people's lives. You know, it's not just a genre. <laughs> That you're going to right. see in the story. It's, it's real, it's real life. So to me, uh, it's, it, you know, it can often be a great kind of engine for plot, but it's also just um, something that I'm fascinated by in general. And, and so it's not just a marketing thing for me, you know, I think especially when it comes right. to women's lives and the way that crime affects women, it's just something I'm always going to be interested in exploring. Right. Yeah. As, as, and that's, that's certainly admirable and it certainly makes sense, especially because your, your mom teaches criminal justice. Um, has she read your work and, and what, is, uh, what does she think of it or does she avoid it because of her background? Uh, how's that been for you? 
she's um, just the greatest role model I've ever had. And I mean, a, a great reader, that's where I, I got it, I think. So she tells a story that when I was in kindergarten, um, she had the, the novel Little Woman, Women on her desk and I picked it up and started crying because I couldn't read it. And <laughs> I'd seen her oh. read it. <laughs> I think she, she just inspired, she's not a writer, um, not a you know creative writer, but mm -hmm. she really, sort of gave that that bug to me and so she read she read uh, the good ones when it was in manuscript and then she just read a finished copy um and she said she read it in two days and couldn't put it down and of course you know your your mother's probably going to say something nice but that did make me feel <laughs> she's been such an influence on me that's right yeah and it's uh and hopefully that influence will continue for several more books to come are you planning on going to any of the uh crime convention of writers events that's that are going to be coming up in the uh in this year or next i am so i'm off to thriller fest uh this this coming weekend and um it's funny that you asked me about research because i'm on a panel about research at thriller fest and then I'll be at VoucherCon and the Writers Digest Conference um, in August. So yeah, looking forward to, it's such a great opportunity to meet readers and friends and booksellers. And um, so it's always a good time. Yeah, it really is. There's a, you'll find that it's an incredibly supportive community. And uh, it's funny for people who write about some very horrible people doing even worse things that um, they're all, the, the, the large majority of them are fantastic. And I think you're gonna have a great time doing that. That's been such a um, great discovery for me. You're you're so right. Crime writers are the nicest people and so welcoming <laughs> to new writers, and and it's just it's a great experience to get to to hang out with them. Exactly. Yeah, and then they they can be helpful too. They'll say, you know what, you should talk to so and so. Maybe they can help you with this or that. And you'll you'll, you'll reach out to them and bang, they they get right back to you. It's it's really uh, it's a nice community to be a part of, and I'm glad you're uh, you're taking the opportunity to do that. Thank you. Now you've got a lot of things coming up. You've got, um, you know, you're working on your next novel, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more after that. If people want to be able to follow you on social media or on your website, how can they do that? Yeah, my website is pollystewart.com. It's S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com, mm -hmm. and Polly is P-O-L-L-Y. Um, right. On Twitter, I'm at Polly Stewart. Stu. S T E W, and at on Instagram, I'm at Polly Stewart Books. So um, love to connect with people on social media um, if they want to find right. me. Sure, yeah, and then also too, you're on Amazon as well, so they can uh, find your books there and wherever great books are sold. Well, I thank you for taking the time to do this. I, I know my audience always loves hearing from an author that's new to them and especially new to the genre, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you so much, Terrence. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate your time. Oh, of course. Thank you for being here. And thank you to everybody for listening to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time, everyone. Take care. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.